Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Money Mitch Effect. I'm your host, Mitch Michaels, and thank you for joining me on this sports podcast where we have a lot to discuss. A couple big guests coming on, some good news, unfortunately, some bad news. First, as I'm joined by Sean Sullivan, my buddy, also the producer of the Yahoo Sports College podcast, we break down the heartbreaking news there will be no Big Ten or no Pac 12 seasons. How do we get there? Who's to blame? And what's next for the other three conferences, the Big 12, the ACC, and the SEC that are attempting to play. We also got a light in the move talking some Stanley Cup hockey. Always fun to break down some puck, the Blue Jackets, Lightning, five overtime game, and much more with Sully. And then I'm joined by MMA Fighting's Jose Youngs to talk about what else? UFC 252, highlighted by the trilogy, the final fight between Daniel Cormier and Stipe Miocic, and a lot of other good fights as well. It's Jose Youngs and Sean Sullivan on the Money Mitch Effect. Let's start the show. All right, now on the Money Mitch Effect, my good friend in my time of crisis and my time of need, Sean Sullivan, producer of the Yahoo Sports College podcast. Sully, thanks for joining the show, but man, I wish we were talking about anything else. Oh, I know, brother. Hi, and thank you for having me. This is it's it's a dark age in uh the sport we love so that is for sure yeah let's just uh let's just jump right into this as we record on wednesday night there will be no big 10 or pac 12 season sec big 12 and acc committed to play at the moment we're just going to focus on the power five not the other conferences that you know unfortunately have gone the same route as uh, not playing but three still in play two out of play right now and uh, when I heard it, I mean, we heard the wind circling, Sully, that the Big Ten was about to pull the shoot and, and call the season. I think it's a little laughable if you're not in the Pac-12 that they just pretty much drafted over what the Big Ten did. But <laughs> what, were, what were your thoughts the 48 hours before leading up to the inevitable decision that they made to uh, cancel the season? Uh, first things first, like, it, it, the, we never really thought about the Pac-12, right? It was, you're right. You're spot on there. It was, it was, it was an afterthought. And that, that kind of just speaks to the, the nature of the back 12 right now. It's kind of an embarrassment. Um, they're, they're kind of, they're, they're like the backpack on the big 10 shoot, you know, like they're not even, they don't even have their own shoot. They're holding on for dear life for, with the big 10, but you're right. It, the 48 hours leading up to it, I, I kind of just got off of Twitter and social media. And as soon as I, I heard that it was going to happen, you know, the inevitable, it, We've been hearing whispers for even longer than 48 hours, but yeah, once you, once you see the, the, the heavy hitters start coming out reporting it, it's, you know, it's going to happen. And it was, it was like, I've, I've likened it to this, that it's, it's been like watching, watching your dog die a slow death over the past few months and the vet takes a vacation. And when I say the vet, I mean, anybody that is in, a state of power, it, whether you're president of Ohio State or you're Mark Emmert or anybody that what what have you been doing the past few months? You know, mm-hmm. just just hoping and wishing the virus was going to go away because it, it certainly showed that it's not. So come up with a backup plan as soon as you cancel March Madness. What what is what is wrong with that? You can your uh, biggest cash yeah. cow. Yeah, come up with plan A through Z. I've had a couple of issues here, and I just want to state them because obviously we're all upset, and you don't want to you don't want to 
point too much blame in one direction because these problems are linked and everybody, a lot of people could have done a lot better in terms of this. Mm -hmm. But where we are right now, Sully, essentially, is that we have two conferences that aren't playing and others that are trying to play, some even in the same state. Like, explain to me how in the state, yeah, exactly, you read my mind, how in the state of Iowa, one football team is allowed to play, one football team isn't allowed to play. When the medical data is probably the same for both those schools, and then you got one that's playing and one that's not. So I, right. I understand at the heart of this, what really does piss me off, Sully, is that this seems to be about the liability issue and not the medical data issue. This definitely seems to be right. the case. I know a lot of these Big Ten schools are bringing students on campus, and that to me, and we can get, you know, we go beyond football, and that's okay in this regard, in the sense that. I really don't think it was medically data, medical data driven. It's the NCAA, it's Emirate and those guys that say, look, we don't want to be held responsible if something bad were to happen. And when you're going to be, you know, when your main goal, when your main reason, your main way of solving a problem is looking at it like that, I take exception to that. And I think it's a shame to these kids and these players that have been working so hard and these programs that by all accounts have done a great job keeping the team together, working hard and, and keeping them pretty safe. Right, right. As Dan said on our podcast last night, you, you feel gutted for the kids. And you could, you could, you know, just in the, in the video Ohio State tweeted out, you could, you could hear the sadness in their voice. They've done, in, in most cases, Ohio State included, um, they've done every, those kids did everything right. Everything they asked of them, how high, they've stayed in, indoors, they've locked it down. I mean, of course, you had exceptions with Rutgers and Louisville and Michigan State. There's definitely been. Uh, exceptions to this but bar, by and large most of these programs have, have have kept it under control for the last few months and then you and you cut the cord and, and if i was iowa i would be pissed is that, is it, right your 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 number one rival is doing the same stuff we are you're, yeah. you're, we're, we're all locked in here together and they still get to do the thing that they love and then and you can debate whether we should or shouldn't play at, at, at at all period like that that's up for debate but when you're releasing schedules when you're building this stuff when you when you have the infrastructure to try to play so right there it's 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 very very frustrating like you you're asking these kids and and you're waving student health in our faces and 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 as pete said let's just let's just quit let's stop with the bs right It's, it's, it's never been about player safety health and 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 it, it really, it, down to the heart of it, the NCAA, like, who cares? It's right. always been Look, a liability. It's, it's not as simple as, you know, play because you think it's perfectly fine outside and there's no risk, or don't play because if you do play, it's certain illness and, and bad. It's, it's a, life is a gray area. It's a lot different than that. The, uh, you know, that, that's my biggest problem. I'm going to, I'm going to try to follow my own advice here, not point out the blame in one direction here, but. Commissioner Warren, dude, you released the schedule four days ago. You mean to right. tell me that this just all happened in the last four days? Where you're like, oh, and then we're gonna vote, you know, which is total BS because they leaked out the info that they were gonna gonna vote to gauge public perception. You won't convince me that that's not what happened based on right. know, everything that happened there. I mean, this is a guy who recently said that he would be fine with his son who plays at Mississippi State playing football. That's fine. That's okay. But then he makes this decision based. When he says on health, when I don't think that's entirely true. Uh, I, and, and look, I agree with all the coaches and the players who spoke out and said we feel safer with peop- with our teams in the controlled environment with people our age and not going back to the family house, to the dorms even. 
you know, with the elder relatives if you're going mm-hmm. home. So I think the environment that a lot of these teams have put together are safe. And, yeah, you know, it, it, it comes down to me again that it had nothing to do with safety, and that's just very tragic for the kids that are putting in the time, the hours, the effort. They have a short window. Most of them will not make the NFL, and they get a year taken away from them. 100%, man, 100%. And I, I think um, Warren is, is jumps into hell's fire, you know, the, the guy's fresh on the job, and he gets thrown into this cesspool. I don't don't envy him whatsoever. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I think the – People definitely need to be frustrated with him. Um, it, it, it's it, he, he definitely said all, all along the way that we he had he had the asterisk next to anything that they they released. You know, there was always that extra statement that even with the schedule, we still not not might not play football. Don't don't stoke the fire. Don't don't leave yourself for what happened. You know, you're, you're hyping by even releasing the schedule. You're hyping up every fan base in Lincoln, Nebraska, thinking that this is going to happen. Yeah. You, you, you put a carrot in front of the horse. They're going to run, you know, and they, they put the carrot and then they yank the carrot away. And now the horse is pit. So like, what do you, what do you like, never, never put the carrot there. Yeah. You know, That's I know. What, I, I agree. I just, and I'm going to ask you this question, Sully. I might be way off here. Correct me if you think I am, but what's the what? Why was the impotence on? It has to be right now. Like why? Why did they have to make this decision right now as opposed to monitoring so, it, letting the players still work out in their facilities that have proven to be safe? I mean, we can go to the test results there. Did the plug have to be pulled right now? Yeah, I think it's it, it's a good question. Um, according to Pete Thamel, that that Tuesday was always the day that. Uh, they were, they circled the wagons as, Hey, are, you know, we're starting to bring kids back on campus. Uh, practices are, are in full swing. This is kind of the decision that we, we needed to make it now or, or else we're going to, there's, there's no stopping it where the SEC, ACC and big 12 are mm-hmm. bringing kids on campus. Have, are, they're, you're wide open at that point. You, you're, you're committed. Like you're, you're going to go to, you're going to go to week one pretty much, you know, like you, you're there. And I, I, I guess, you know, I, I, in the Pac-12 instance, at least they have the California issue where Chip Kelly couldn't even show up to his, to his uh, facility until 48 hours ago. Yeah. So they weren't, they were <laughs> They well, the Pac-12, yeah, I mean, the Pac-12, I mean, they basically proved they're just drafting because they could have called this a while ago, and they waited till the Big right. Ten made they their they just didn't want to be the first. Because they didn't want to be the yeah. first, exactly right. God, it's terrible that when I'm agreeing with Jim Harbaugh and, and everything, who, you know, <laughs> I hate when that happens, man. I mean, you, you mentioned all the schools that are upset. Scott Frost's press conference, very upset. Ryan Dade spoke today. I don't know if you heard it. It was like mm-hmm. utter disgust at the fact yeah. that, they didn't even tell them a path forward. And newsflash, a spring football season will not work. Will not yep. work. No. no especially not. especially when you have a lot of prospects or you're, you're fortunate enough to have prospects that are going to be at the NFL level. There's no way that you can justify it for a pro prospect going spring season right to the combine, right to the draft, or even a college prospect just going from a spring season to a season again right in the fall. I just don't understand how that would work. No, I, you're right. It, it's going to have to be – if it honestly they it needs to be just scrimmages you know televised scrimmages you know and that that's what it's basically going to be because you're going to have a bunch of guys leaving 
there's too many risks there's beyond covid that you're right health wise and then just if you're any anywhere close to being an nfl prospect whether you're a junior or a senior man you got to be thinking what am i doing here you know what what why am i playing these worthless four five six games you know i would i would gray shirt and play a full 12 the next year before i i risk playing these four games for nothing like you can't crown a national champion right you can't like i mean not not that i mean that's a whole nother whole nother bag of bag of eggs here that <laughs> i don't know if we're going to crown a national championship in, in the fall either no. um but no uh, uh yeah i don't yeah, know what like, you do i mean i, I that's really just, don't that's just completely removing the virus out of it you know yeah. like, like like what what do you what, what do you have the what do you have to gain it's a good question. I mean, I, I agree with uh, former Ohio State coach Urban Meyer in saying that he doesn't see spring football uh, as a as a viable option. You know, of course, he had like a half naked man in his Skype interview, but uh, regardless of that, I uh, <laughs> yeah, we have to keep it light great. at some point. You know, I don't know, I don't know yeah. what was going on there, but you know, just... it was so it was evidently one of the peak out the scoop that it was one of their. Um, uh, he was on a fishing trip with a bunch of his buddies. I wanted it to be Brett Bielema so bad that that's it. it kind of looked like him. Kind of had the same like like high buzz. You're like, you're top, like oh, you look like you, could, you you look like you could go belly. three and five in the SEC. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, like oh my goodness, just big old boy. I was I was hoping it was Bert, but uh, it was not. It was just one of his one of one of his buddies. So the story wasn't as good as I wanted it to be, but. Right. Still hilarious moment. Very funny. That gave uh, us a little little brevity in, in a dark yeah. time. Sean Sullivan, Money Mitch Effect. Uh, well, college football, as of now, might go on. We have three conferences that are in position to play. Uh, from my experience, it's never really a good thing when you rely on the Big 12, but here we are. I mean, uh, they look like they're oh, ready my goodness. to go. So what do you, oh, what do you think goodness, the four, what do you think the chances are that we see ACC, Big 12, and then SEC, which appears to be the most likely to take place? What about those three conferences? What are you, what are you gauging that at right now? Oh man, I feel like it, they're going to try, and it, you know that the, they're just let's you know quit with the the health BS. There's just so much money involved that, and all these conferences are sapped for needed. Um, that they're that you know, and and Dan had a great point on the on the podcast last night. Like it or we're in it. We're in an election year, and are, are these states even going to have an option to, to shut it down? Like the political pressure is now off the rails when you got the president and the VP jumping in, and and you got local officials, both Republican and Democrat, we're taking it, you know, on both sides of the aisle from every state in, in the ACC, SEC, Big Twelve footprint pushing to play. You know, like it's it's. I I, I think it's it's almost out of their hands at this point, uh, and yeah. The, I think they're going to try. Barring a, and this is clearly the biggest issue, and uh, when the kids get back, get back on campus, and that yeah. that's been the the, the biggest the, the biggest moment of this just absolute roller coaster we've been on the past few months, and that my biggest bone to pick is we've known this is coming, we've known that the kids are turning back to campus. We've known that the virus is still going to be here. We're not going to have right. a vaccine. And, and, the, and the schools and the schools and football program, the football programs, I should say, 
have done a 10 times better job than the conferences, the universities, the NCAA yeah. as a whole in do preparing. But like Ryan Day said, like some of the other coaches have said, they really haven't gotten much direction from anybody above them, and that's that no. lies the problem. The the biggest pick, and yeah, you're right. The the one clip I did see from days was was you could you could hear how pissed he was that what are you going to tell the kids? All right, our 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 season's moved to the spring. Are we so how many scholarships are we going to have? You know, like what what does that do with the ACC and SEC scholarship limit? You know, how how are right. we going to keep these kids on campus from transferring? And and I've, shoot, it, it's got to be a nightmare to try to transfer right now because why, you know, but well, who's going to say the SEC is going to be playing in, in a month anyway, you know, so why why even test it? But, uh, yeah, true. I mean, I got to think this but, is hardship but, for a lot of them. Though. They're going to prove it. This oh, be... it's definitely hardship. Yeah, they're going to get the waiver from the NCAA. That's definitely not the yeah. issue. But I, I, I think, like, why risk it when you – I highly doubt we're going to get a full 10 in. Yeah. You know? That, that, as we sit right here, we might try to start it, but I highly doubt we get ten in. So that's that's where I lay right now. It's just yeah. you might be able you might be able to to really keep it locked down and 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 for a month on campus where everybody's stoked about football and you know it's I don't know, man. There's just going to be parties and it's. it's but dude, and that's that's the thing. Like we've all been, and, and here's another thing I'm gonna say. I really don't like when uh, people, famous or not, judge people doing dumb stuff age 18 to 23. Uh, newsflash, <laughs> yeah, newsflash. Everybody, including ourselves, I think we're gonna put in there, have done some stuff dumb at that age. So it's gonna be hard to 100%. to really lock it down. It's hard for people older than that to to really stay focused. I'm so glad I don't have to deal with a. A, 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 we didn't have to deal with the pandemic in college, you know. Like I feel so bad for just a normal college student that yeah, gets a year of their loses a year of, of the the college experience, and, and I would drop out and make a gap year just so I didn't lose it. You know, I I've, <laughs> I've thought about it. You know, just covering covering the sport we love. What would I do if I was a just a college? I was never an yeah. athlete. Let's, let's let's get that forward, so I wouldn't have to worry about playing football. But <laughs> But as a, just a normal student, I, I wouldn't even go to University of Phoenix or anything to, to, to keep getting credit, you know, like because then that, that eats into your time on the back end. I, I would I would take I would take it well into the spring and, you know, try to teach, you know, either either teach myself something on the side or, or you know, try to get a, a remote job or something, you know, that, that helps in my field. Um, and that just that is that, you know, like I, I would not be going to school just as a student. Yeah. Um, just cause it's, it's, it's not college, you know, you're going to, this, this, this isn't, and they're going to try to make it as college as possible, which is, I'm, you know, if I was 18, I would be doing the same thing. Yeah. It's going to be tough for sure. Uh, but you know, one last note on college football, if we do get a 10 game season in the sec, then I guess we'll get to see that vaunted Tennessee schedule where you guys just got lambasted. <laughs> Oh my God! Not I just you, though. I'm going to be fair. I'm going to be fair to our, our brethren in Arkansas, and I'll, I'll add Mizzou in there Woo. just to kind of keep it honest. Yes. But whoa, yeah. boy! I mean, do, do whoa, we want to protect? Do we want to protect the West, or do we want to protect the West? Oh, you want to? The SEC set themselves up. They're like, all right, well, we're going to we're going to release the schedule. We're not playing non-conference games. We're going to we're going to protect 
our chances if we are going to crown a champion for it to reside in the SEC. That's 100% what happened. It, Nick Saban is somehow just just keeps getting these gifts, you know? Like, I, I, Alabama and LSU had the just cupcakiest of cupcake schedules, while the middle to the bottom tier gets flat on the side of the face. It, it's not even it, – it, it, it doesn't take a, a brain surgeon to figure out real quick exactly what's going on inside the SEC, you know? And, shoot, I, if a playoff is held between the SEC, ACC, and Big 12, which is wishful thinking, without the Big 10 and, and Pac-12, they're setting themselves up to, to have one or two, you know, teams in that playoff and try to get that check when everybody's strapped for it. So, you know, you just got to follow the dollar, and I think <laughs> – I think it's not hard to hard to do at this in this instance. Uh, well, on that note, everybody get ready for college football 2020. <laughs> Woo! So exciting, oh, man! But obviously, if we get any games, it's a blessing at this point, and uh, we'll definitely be gambling on them. So we've uh, we've, we've zeroed in on that. Right that so so that's good. Hey, Sully, this has been good. Before I let you go, gotta gotta talk some hockey here because uh, I don't know if yeah. you know this, but I've had thirteen heart attacks, a baker's dozen, in the past week. Oh my god, dude! Seriously, yeah. bro. Fun I don't fact: know how you're still standing. Fun fact: five overtime game that you lose is not not ideal. So just just <laughs> just just knowing mm-hmm. out there, it's been uh, yeah. Look, we'll break it down. Uh, last week, last Friday, five days ago, as we record this. Uh, the Blue Jackets blew a 3 nothing lead in a clincher and lost that game. So then you had to go from that to an elimination sudden-death game that they win, highs of high, mm-hmm. game one, you think, all right, let's just have a good showing, and then they played eight periods of hockey and lost when the puck hit somebody in the face and then ricocheted to somebody else who sniped it in. So it's been a week, but uh, I'm just glad it's back in my life. It's like the uh, the uh, tumultuous uh, relationships of the past. It just hurts me, but I keep coming back for more. <laughs> Yeah, no doubt. It, it it just feels good to hurt again or feel anything again, right? You know. Yeah. It, it's it's like it's just nice to 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 get pained by something like sports again. You know. Yeah. Like it, just to, just to feel anything that's related to sports is nice. You know. It just just which it's it's it, it's dark, but it it's true. You know. Like I'm. <laughs> I'll take a I'll take a fifty to nothing Tennessee Florida loss week one against or week one against Florida just to watch a Tennessee game you know like I, I would I would sign on the dotted line just to get the one game in this season Tennessee auto auto loss you know so mm-hmm. I, I get that I I, I I get that sentiment yeah absolutely uh, the product's been great the players have bought in which is which is what you want to see the the league's done a good job keeping it light keeping it funny. Uh, without fans especially, you know, you just got to wonder how gassed those guys were yesterday playing eight periods of hockey and Seth Jones playing, you know, 65 minutes, Corpus Allo setting the save record, 84 saves, 85 saves in that game. Just incredible. And, uh, look, if we're going to give props to where props do working in sports media, Sully, what the Carolina Hurricanes did yesterday might have been the funniest tweet I've ever read of a sports account their game got delayed Trolling. against the Bruins, so they had to play it the next day today because of uh, the, playing on the same sheet of ice and going so late. And they copied word for word the Toronto Leafs' apology to their fans after a disappointing loss. Words don't explain this. We don't have the words. We know you don't want to hear them. This wasn't the ending we began. They just changed ending to beginning. This wasn't the beginning we hoped for. <laughs> word for word, just. 
perfect. Rolling. Yeah, but it's been good to see. I know you unfortunately don't have a dog in the race, and you had to see the Rangers get the first overall pick. But uh, it's at least yeah. something here. Yeah, it's playoff hockey. You gotta love it. It's, it's the best playoff uh, of any sport, and you got you just you got to dive in whether you got a team or not, and you won't regret it. You know, because like, that's if you're not a hockey fan. And I highly doubt you're listening to this podcast if you're not a hockey fan. But yeah, I don't want to hear you. Turn it off oh, right hey. now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh. But but if, yeah, if, you, if you're out there and you're not a hockey fan and you click on a, a playoff hockey uh, a game for the first time, like if an alien, because we know they exist now, we haven't even gotten to that yet. Uh, they when they sit down and, and and land on Earth and we first explain to them what hockey is, we need to to put on a, a playoff hockey game. You could feel the intensity seeping through the freaking television screen every single time you watch it. It's addicting, you know, yeah. and, and whether you got a team or not, I'm watching, you know, mm-hmm. so uh, yes, I do miss my demos in the playoffs. So we, we, we don't need to bring that up anymore. <laughs> hopefully sometime soon, hopefully Columbus can keep it going. And uh, yeah, I got to thank you though, for not only doing the show today, but being a big proponent of uh, second year in a row, really gaining some steam. The tequila challenge is taking off. Yes, sir. We are uh, tequila we are, challenge. We're, we're spreading it worldwide, baby. Yeah, actually, year three of it because we had a soft open in year one, uh, but last year was a yeah, great when, one when my team was actually in it. Yeah, yeah. We, we had a soft nice. open. You got you got one shot in that year. I think I got two, and then we were both. <laughs> See you later. Thanks for coming. Thank but uh, no, it's uh, it's been going good. If you're out there and your team's in the playoffs, just do a shout at Tequila. It doesn't have to be. That's the preferred, the official one. But I understand, well, you know, that Tequila's not everybody's bag. I just ask that you stick to the same liquor throughout the playoffs and only if they win. All right, so I like that rule. It's a pretty simple rule. Uh, but it definitely it uh, helps spread good vibes and uh, keeps you from going ab- Absolutely ballistic uh, from game to game, so I found that as well. And and some of these some of these games are tipping off at, at, at eleven a.m., so it's a nice yeah. break from the work day. Yeah, yeah, it it is. You know, here here yesterday, I thought I was going to watch the end of the game at work, and uh, I'm watching four <laughs> overtime at home. I never thought I'd be racing home to catch the start of a fourth overtime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the absurdity of that sport, man. I, yeah, it's crazy. The lucky thing for the league is that that game started at noon. You know, uh, noon out here, three Eastern. Could you imagine if it would have just started even later? So, uh, Sully, thanks for coming on. Good work as always on the Yahoo Sports College podcast. Uh, keep pumping out good stuff there, and uh, we'll get through this pandemic one way, or should I say, one bet at a time. But uh, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, good sir. All right, huge thanks to Sully for coming on. Always a blast chatting with him. We'll take any college football we can get, so hopefully there is something. Uh, feel for the players for sure. But uh, always fun talking hockey as well. And a shout-out before I forget, Troy Stetcher, Vancouver Canucks, had the game-winning goal uh, last night, pointed to the heavens to uh, honor his father who passed away a couple months ago. So there's always good moments in sports. Hockey's got a lot of them, so make sure you're catching that out. Shout-out again to uh, Troy Stetcher for the Vancouver Canucks. Now it's time to switch gears to talk MMA with MMA Fighting Zone, Jose Young's UFC 252, Stipe Miocic, Daniel Cormier 3, the trilogy for the heavyweight title. Also talking about this kid O'Malley and the Bantamweight fighter who's been on the rise. It's very fun, very exciting. We also talk a little baseball because Jose's a Red Sox fan and uh, it's not really going well for him right now, especially with Mookie Betts' success. So Jose Young's from MMA Fighting to talk UFC and a little bit more. 
here now on the Money Mitch Effect. All right, UFC 252 is here. Who else but MMA Fighting's Jose Young's hardest working man in MMA and I guess in sports and entertainment. Jose Young, thanks for joining the show. Anytime, man. I don't know if I'm the hardest worker, but I'm definitely the most sleep deprived. That definitely counts for something. Uh, before we get to MMA, I thought just to kind of start off fresh, uh, we could play just one, just a quick one uh, subject game of word association. Um, John William Henry. <laughs> I'm sorry, I had to do it, man. The Red Sox. That's my word. Much. That's my word. When you when you're disappointed and you suck your teeth, like that's my that's just, my that's my word. Like, doesn't I, even deserve a word. It's crazy because in here I am in one sense a team like like the Red Sox that have won so many World Series recently, and you feel some empathy for the fans because they're a team with this juggernaut payroll that is you know not not worried about expenses whatsoever, and here they are playing right. poor for Mookie Betts, who uh, has looked great as expected for the well, Dodgers. This could all have been avoided if we decided that we were going to give John Lester the hometown discount, but instead we needed to give like $200 million to David Price, give a whole bunch of money to Evaldi and a whole bunch of money to Chris Sale. Uh, I understand the Chris Sale signing. No one knew he needed Tommy John surgery when he signed it, and he's one of the best pitchers in the game. No idea why they gave that contract to David Price when they did. Even when they did, I was like, that's going to blow up in their face. And then Evaldi was basically just a thank you for the greatest pitch performance of your life. Uh, but it's completely blown up in their faces. And now they got to sign Devers. They signed Xander. They're going to have to lock up Ben Intendi. Our farm system is terrible. And we traded away a once-in-a-lifetime, a generational talent for nothing. And it is infuriating me. If they don't lock up Ben Attendee, I might send some people to check on you. <laughs> I mean, I like if you've seen Ben Attendee playing this season. Yeah, that's true. It's not great. I would much rather lock up Devers and Bogarts because I love Ben Attendee. He's by far one of the best players on the team, and I think he's going to be a cornerstone for a long time. But you can get outfielders any day, anywhere. Like an out, a good right. hitting outfielder, especially left field, is not the hardest to come behind. A real like a sub thirty, like they're both mm. like under thirty shortstop and third baseman who can rake. Like you need those in the MLB nowadays. So hopefully they they did lock up Xander, uh, and they got to lock up Devers, who's like the youngest player on the team. So, uh, but Ben Tenney's got to be next. I'm sorry, JBJ, but you got to go. Yeah, I can't believe that Bogert's uh, Xander isn't even like thirty yet. Like he, that just oh, no. blew my mind that you know. Well, yeah, because he made his debut in the in the World Series. Like yeah. he was our 13, top prospect. He was twenty one yeah. at the time. So yeah, he was our 30. top prospect, and he was a September call up, and he played third base in the World Series because we had Stephen Drew on that team. <laughs> oh, uh, and I'm he aware. Short, yeah, he played he played shortstop like once or twice uh, in the World Series, and I thought he would have made a great third, like because when Mookie was technically a shortstop when he came up. I mean, the second second baseman. So I thought for sure we could have slid, slid over Mookie to short, uh -huh. have Pedroia and Mookie as a double play combo, and have Xander locking down third base. And I'm like, there you go. That, or if, if Pedroia can't play second because of his knee, stick him at first base, put Mookie at, at second, put Xander at third, and Devers can hold up third base. Like, that's an unbelievable infield right there. But the problem is I'm making too much sense, and that doesn't operate in John Henry's mind. No, and, and I gotta say, I mean, the pitching is uh, as bad of a Red Sox uh, pitching rotation as it's the worst. <laughs> it is remember. the worst I've seen in years. 
Yeah, you mentioned uh, Pedroia obviously accomplished a lot, but Pedroia's in that class with the, let's say, other teams. I don't know, first name that comes to my head, Brett Gardner. It's like they signed lifetime contracts, and I just missed it. <laughs> you know? The problem with that con- comparison is Brett Gardner is actually able to take the field. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Has <laughs> played like three games in three years, and it's all because of Manny Machado, uh, which I will never forgive him for. But he struck out falling down in the World Series to clinch us that 2018 World mm-hmm. Series, so... Justice was served. Yeah. I just feel terrible for Pajor because he might not ever play again. Yeah, it's it's a pretty sad one there. Um, do you have any thoughts on just baseball before we move to UFC with what's going on? Obviously, there's, you know, it's been fun to see. It's a short season. It's been fun that they're playing every day, but I'm a little pessimistic. I, I heard, Now you hear thoughts of a postseason bubble and maybe being the only way to salvage this. The Cardinals have played like five games. Are we going to get to that finish line or I just get to the man. postseason? I think this. I don't even think there should have been a season, honestly. Uh, next season, what is it? Is it next season is going to be the collective bargaining? So that's going to be another nightmare to deal with. So uh, I think they wanted to get something in now. Good on uh, who is it? Stroman, who just bounced after uh, serving his mandatory time to make that money and then left so he could get into free agency or whatever. So much respect to him for getting that done. But it's either they shouldn't have had it happen. Or they should they should have just waited to next year. Figure the bubble situation out. I think the NBA has got it right. I think the NFL is kind of going to be an anomaly right now. There's no way they can play that without a bubble. I think the NBA has done a good job. If they are going to start a bubble for the playoffs, whatever. The Red Sox aren't going to be in it anyway. <laughs> so I'm just going to yeah. be like, whatever, man. The Yankees can all get COVID for all I care. But like, oh, I don't want to say that. That's a terrible thing to say. But uh, it's going to be like the Yankees and the Dodgers anyway at this point. Though the Braves are good. Uh, the Mets are terrible. The A's are fun to watch. The Astros are always going to be oh, the that's, Astros. That's so, the uh, best part is the Astros struggling this year. I think we can uh, we can all agree that's been fun. I don't to see. hate. I don't hate it. <laughs> it's been fun to see. And, and just one other point, I I do you know I do agree with you on a lot of that. The only thing being, the bubble's great for you know hockey and basketball. That does not seem like a full full slate season. Uh, it wouldn't solution. work in baseball. It wouldn't work in baseball. Yeah. It wouldn't work in basketball because baseball. Yeah. And. Baseball doesn't have a time. Like, there's no – like, basketball, it's like, what, like two, two and a half, three hours, and then you can play those back-to-back-to-back-to-back games right. or all the teams can play, like, simultaneously. You've watched enough Red Sox-Yankees games that you know those games could be eight hours. Yeah. You can't have a bubble with that. So I think they would have to have multiple bubbles. I just don't think uh, – I mean, yeah, I just don't think you could even do, like, you know, a full basketball season. You know, how no. you can condense it. Well, but, no. you know, it's uh, it's a commitment too, but – Whatever baseball we gets good, uh, hope our teams, Indians, Red Sox, it's going to be. I think a well. big thing is going to be detrimental to a lot of these prospects because they haven't had a spring training. Uh, they're like, look, look at Pete Alonso right now. He's like, he was like the hottest thing to come out of New, out uh-huh. of New York since like uh, Degrom and Syndergaard, and he had he hit, he mashed like fifty plus home runs last year, and that doesn't get a spring training, and now has to play fifty games. He's clearly cool, uh, cooled off, yeah. and now he's playing terrible. And it's gonna like you. You've played baseball. You, mm-hmm. It's all meant. Yeah. You can't go on a slump and then bounce back immediately, especially young players. So, it, I think it could be super detrimental to the psyche of uh, young players. Absolutely. The only person immune to this, obviously, is Mike Trout because he's a cyborg. And... Well, yeah, Mike Trout <laughs> could be the greatest player in the history of baseball. Yeah, and, and like he's stuck I in Anaheim, ever... which is ridiculous. Like, for, like I feel the sad for him. I mean, yeah, it's, he signed the contract, but I'm sad for not just him, but for us because we don't get to see him in the playoffs. It's you're not wrong. You're not. It would. He's he. I hope he's not like Ovechkin 
Well, at least Ovechkin won one. Yeah, he got or one. Or Ray Bork. Yeah. It's, oh, yeah. Oh, well. well we, got, we, of, we don't got to talk. Baseball's going to get yeah. me all hot and angry. I know. Right See, there it is. Red Sox are your big passion. That's good. Uh, but that was good. We got some baseball. It's good. Whatever we get from that sport, uh, we'll see. But for now, got to focus this weekend. Jose Young's MMA fighting on UFC 252. Headlined by the trilogy fight, Stipe and Daniel Cormier. We're going to get to that in a second. But uh, this is going to be at the Performance Center. Obviously, desperate times. Obviously, this is uh, the most logical thing to do at the UFC Apex. But the card itself didn't really take shape till um, Jose, I should say, didn't really take shape in terms of a big card build out from the top to bottom. A lot of these fights were thrown together almost in the last minute sense. What do you think yeah. about how this card was constructed and the opportunities that are going to be available for some of these young and unknown fighters with a lot of eyeballs on them? Um, I think it's good for some of the younger fighters. Uh, the main event, the main card is great. Uh, the top four fights are amazing. And even there's a couple like, there's a couple fun uh, matchups in the prelims for people who like really uh, like ingest MMA all day. But um, compared to, I'll compare it to the last few pay-per-views. Uh, UFC 250 was amazing. That was the Amanda Nunes, Felicia Spencer card. Like if you look at that whole card, there were some unbelievable fights and really important moments in that. UFC 249 was that Ferguson Gaethje card had three title fights. Mm-hmm. We're supposed like had all those title fights on the line. Like Ngannou, Jairzinho, like that fight card was unbelievable. Uh, 251 was the triple uh, title fight uh, one on Fight Island with like Masvidal and Usman, Aldo, Jan. Uh, they, it, it was like that was a Holloway Volkanovsky and then even the undercard was pretty unbelievable so I think you'd really and then even going back further like 248 we had Izzy Romero and then Ioana Njajic and Zhang Wali uh, Sugar Sean was also on that card yeah. uh, there was a lot of really fun fights on that card and it, it ended up being like the main event it is it is what it is but the co-main event could be the greatest title fight I've ever seen it's easily the greatest female fight I've ever seen so I think you really have to go all the way back to UFC 247 which was that John Jones Reyes and right. Valentina Shagin card where the top two fights were awesome and then the rest of them were a lot of prospect matchups or fighter fights that were really good for like because it took place in Houston obviously so a lot of Texas natives on that card so it was really good for the crowd and being there live but I so I would compare 252 to 247 in terms of how the card was built yeah that's a good that's a good comparison and, and I'm with you on the main card it's a really good card it's a fun card it's got the star power but it's also got some some new faces some familiar faces that are looking to bounce back and uh, I'm just very excited to see it. I always ask you this question, especially when we talk about the early prelims on the UFC Fight Pass and we get to ESPN. What's the fight that stands out the most? What are you looking forward to seeing uh, before um, we get to the pay-per-view card? On the prelims, um, I mean, there's a lot of single fight fighters I want to see. Like Herbert Burns is Gilbert Burns' brother who yeah. is – who and like Herbert Burns is no joke. That guy is like someone to circle in the featherweight division. I think he's he, – I don't know if he'll be champion, but he's going to be a problem. Uh, moving forward and he's one of those he's he'll, he wants to fight every week and you know the ufc loves those guys uh livia hanata souza is facing ashley yoder ashley yoder is like she she scraps like she she's never gonna like knock someone out dead but she's gonna be in like those fights where it's gonna be back and forth she's gonna get beat up she's gonna beat the other person up. she just she has the def- definition of heart and livia hanata souza if they're making a bmf title for women she's on the short list 
Like, she's come from a, not a great place in Brazil. She's down to fight anyone. She comes to throw down. She'll fight anyone, anytime, anywhere. She's very rough around the edges. What, what you see on camera is what she is off camera. So that fight is just fun. Uh, obviously, Felice Herrig has fought a who's who at women's strawweight. She's sure. like one of the OG veterans of the game. So it's not, and she's coming off a really, really severe knee knee injury. She's supposed to fight last June, and now she's fighting August 2020. So I'm really happy to see her. But the 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 featured prelim fight between Jim Miller and Vince Pichel, that fight, like anytime Jim Miller fights. <laughs> is on the short list for some sort of bonus. Like, he has some of the... he. It's, like, always between him and Cowboy for most total fights, most bonuses. He's, he's like, low-key on... Because he, he's been in the fight... He's had, like, 30-plus UFC fights, and all of a sudden, he's won three or four fights with his only loss being a decision loss to Scott Holtzman. And they keep giving him either veterans on his level, like Clay Guida, or these up-and-coming prospects like Alex White and Roosevelt Roberts, and he just does what he should do to them well, and taps them immediately. Yeah, so, that Poirier fight in 2017 right. was just amazing. And this was well, even even further you know, back, first Lozon yeah. fight. The Jim Miller yeah. Lozon won. I think it was UFC like 155, 156, something like that. That's one of the greatest fights I've ever seen. That fight's unbelievable. Yeah. Um, so, and then Vince Michelle is—he's not a prospect. He's—he's—he's he's, he's right there. It, like he's clearly on the wrong side of 35. But he has been fighting long. He made his debut uh, in the UFC in like 2012, and he's gone through a lot of injuries. So he hasn't fought since I think June 2019, when he also beat Roosevelt Roberts. And before that, he lost to Gregor Gillespie, who's being everyone not named Kevin Lee. And the only one other person he lost in the UFC, Rustam Kadilov, who's a bad, bad dude from Dagestan as well. So if you, if there's one fight you got to circle for at least on the short list for a performance bonus, whether it's fight of the night, submission of the night, knockout of the night. It's got to be Jim Miller, Vince Michelle. Yeah, you read my mind. I mean, that's going to be something to see because <laughs> Miller's right. fights are incredible. He's got the resume where you just look at who he's fought, who he's done well against, even the losses. I mean, it's something to see. And it's going to get us going right early into the main card. With that first fight with Valishvili, uh, who's somebody who you know is on a little bit of a win streak taken on Dodson, who I looked at, and I do remember Dodson's fight against Peter Jan when Peter Jan was just sort of coming up. I think it's important to note Jan didn't finish him. So Dodson went the distance with the guy that now runs that right. division. I think that could be a fun fight. You know, Dodson's no spring chicken, but how do you see this one turning out? Well, Merab is one of those new like flavors of the month in the Bantamweight division. He he comes out in like the, the hat that Habib wears. I don't know the exact name of it. And if you look at his record, it's decision, 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 decision. But do not mistake him for someone that just holds fighters and grinds them out. It's like Habib in there. He like you ever seen a bear fight a human? Like that's what you get with Merab. Like he's one of he he has the most his last fight I think it was against Gustavo Lopez which was on short notice. I think he took his opponent down like 13 or 12 times whatever. That's the most takedowns in a single fight in the bantamweight division. And the second most is him. He broke his own record. He's one of <laughs> Two fighters in UFC history to have three fights with 10-plus takedowns. The only other one is Demetrius Johnson. So those are the type of names he's he's going against. And then John Dotson, you said, is no spring chicken. But look who he's lost to. Peter Jan, Jimmy Rivera, Marlon Moraes, Demetrius Johnson twice. Those aren't top five, top ten. Those are top three 
bantamweights. And in, in the case of Jan Demetrius Johnson, top one. Even John Lineker is one of the best fighters in the world. And then he beats Nathaniel Wood, who's a prospect. Beats Pedro Munez, who's been a show, uh, uh, who's fought a who's who at 135. Eddie Wyland, former WEC champ. Manny Gambiran, former WEC title challenger. Like he's beating everyone outside of the top three. So basically, if you beat John Dotson, you are a legit contender at bantamweight. So this is a fight I love where the matchup clearly makes sense, but Mirab needs a big name. John Dodson isn't going to fight for the title anytime soon. It's not like he can turn down fights. So this is one of those fighters where it makes sense, and it's an awesome fight. So do not sleep on this fight just because it's the opening prelims. Because if Merab beats Dodson, which is no easy task, then we got a new contender at 135. That that division, that, there's going to be some interesting stuff happening there right now. That division now. is a nightmare in, the, in, the, in a good sense because there are so many people who could be fighting for the title right now. There are. There are. You know I'm not sleeping on it. Jose Young's Money Mitch Effect here uh, talking UFC 252. All right. I don't want to be – I want to be fair. I want to be honest in my assessment, not to be a complete downer. But the next fight is one that I'm not exactly thrilled to be seeing. <laughs> if you catch my drift, I'm just a little sad to see Dos Santos in this state. Uh, it's been a Hall of Fame career. I think we all understand. The trilogy against Cain uh, Velasquez was some of the best heavyweight fights and some groundbreaking fights in that division or any division. Has not looked like the same fighter in the last couple ones, especially that recent Blades TKO. And he's fighting Ro- Rosenstruck, who who had that fight, who had the hype, was undefeated, fought Francis, and you know, 15, 40 seconds later, it all it all went down. Francis said he didn't look like he knew what he was doing in there, which I guess a lot of people don't look like they know what they're doing against him. But here we go, a heavyweight tilt, fourth on the card. How do you see this one shaking out? It's, I mean, I honestly, I favor Junior Dos Santos because even if you look at Rosenstreak's last two fights, he got just demolished by Francis. Like, that, but anyone gets beat by Francis, not named Stipe. Right. Or if he just freezes in there like he did against Derek Lewis. And then even, if you look at his fight before that, like you've seen the picture of Overeem's face split open, and yet he knocked out Overeem. But look at the time stamp of when he beat Overeem. It was like Four the last. Left. Yeah, it was like with how many seconds left? 20 set, like what? Four or five seconds left four, in the yeah. fight? Yeah. yeah. And if you watch that fight, Overeem was handling it. He wasn't handling with strikes. He was just controlling him because, again, that fight was a short-notice fight because Walt Harris, who had lost his daughter, had mm-hmm. pulled out of the fight and Rosenstreak yeah. filled in. Yeah. Uh, so I think he clearly was on – he was four seconds away from losing over him. And then he got crushed by uh, uh, Francis Ngannou. And if you look at the people that Junior's lost to, Curtis Blades, who should be fighting for the title in like the next year or so. If he had – and he, unfortunately, the only knock on Curtis Blades is he has two losses to Francis Ngannou. So Francis Ngannou is sitting there at the number one contender. Blades isn't going to be anywhere close to a title shot right now. And then after that, it's Ngannou, former title challenger, who's beaten everyone not named Stipe. Stipe, the current champ, Overeem, one of the greatest fighters who's ever lived, and then two to Kane. Those are just off the top of my head. And he's beaten everyone else. Like, who is it? Derek Lewis, tied to Ivasa, Rothwell. He even has a win over Stipe Miocic in, in Phoenix. He does. Uh, Mark Hunt, Mir, even beat Kane, Carwin, like Mirko Krokop, like Strube. This cat is beating everyone, uh, but his big weakness is he gets touched real hard. He goes to sleep. Did that against Curtis Blade, who's a wrestler, and got knocked out. Did that against Overeem. Did that against Stipe. And look at the look at when he's getting knocked out. It's in the first two rounds. So if yeah. he gets out of round two, it's his fight. If Rosenstreet can catch him like he did against Arlovsky, or uh, I can't even remember the, the guy he knocked out in like 13 seconds, it's going to be a bad night for him. So after the second round, I favor JDS. Inside the first 10 minutes, I favor Rosenstreet. 
it's a sport and uh it's a sport jose that uh you know doesn't 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 let fighters retire sometimes it retires oh. fighters so i think rosenstrike has to has to have a good showing has to win to be back in the game uh but we'll see if anything if dos santos has anything left in the tank this is the time to shine the bantamweight second fight before the last fight before the main event. I I think we're all just excited to see what transpires in that one. Vera taking on Sugar Sean O'Malley, and I'll, I'll start with this, Jose. Uh, after his knockout in his last fight, uh, O'Malley's last fight, a lot of people, a lot of even current fighters, said that that's the fastest rising prospect in the UFC. Do you partially agree, fully agree, or think that might be a little off? In terms of the fastest rising prospect. Uh, he's up there, if not number one. I know there's like there's a lot of uh, like Edmund Shabazian, Shemayev up there. Shemayev, yeah. well, Shemayev is a little odd because his first fight on Fight Island was a middleweight, and he's technically a welterweight, and that was so that was like a kind of a last second thrown together fight. And then his next fight against Reese McKee, and Reese McKee is no joke. He's one of the top prospects coming out of the UK. The problem with Reese McKee is he's technically a lightweight who had, was going up in weight mm-hmm. to fight Shemayev at welterweight. Shemayev hasn't fought a legitimate welterweight yet, and he's not fought anyone near, like, the top 25. Right, but uh, he's so crazy. <laughs> but I am 100% in. Throw him into the top 15 right away. Yeah. Like, I would love to see him fight Cowboy or someone like that, like, uh-huh. to see where he is. Uh, they did that with Darren Till. So I think you got to compare him to, like, Till, McGregor. I think Macy Barber's on that fast track. Uh, Edmund Shabazzian, of course, who just lost to Brunson. Yeah. He's up, man. He might be number one, but it's probably between him, Shamayev, and a few. There's probably a few others out there, but he's by far generating the most buzz. That's for sure. Sean O'Malley, the way he fights, I think, is part of it too. It, it, there's, there's clearly, you know, the the stake there. There's clearly the substance, but there's also the style too. And well, it's said it best. The only like Cheeto Vera is a phenomenal fighter. He's yeah. clearly the best fighter that. Sugar Sean is going to face mm-hmm. uh, to date. The only reason Marlon Vera gets the co-main event slot is because he's fighting Sean O'Malley. Absolutely. Like that, this is the Sugar Show, as he puts it. And now, I'm not saying he's going to beat Cheeto. That's a really hard fight to predict because Cheeto has never been finished. And he is. I think he won his last fight. Uh, I think Cheeto is one of the best fighters in the world. Uh, he's clearly one of the toughest. He has like five kids, so he's like he's fighting for the right reasons. Anyone that gets a throat tattoo is 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 on a, is like another level of human being. But with that being said, Sugar Sean has a bunch of face tattoos too, yeah. uh, and he also dyed his hair in the Ecuadorian colors. Uh, it's kind of a little poke fun at uh, Cheeto Vera's Ecuadorian heritage. Cheeto Vera doesn't even care. Uh, he's like whatever. It's just hair. He can do whatever he wants. So, uh, but Sugar, this is the Sugar Show outside of the main event. The, this is the fight that people are buzzing about. Like, right? It, like, she, like, oh man. The I would also compare him to Cody Garbrandt. Like when Cody Garbrandt was on the rise, an Ohio boy. The difference is Sugar Sean, like Sugar Sean and Cody. When Cody was on the rise, Cody was younger, and he, in like the span of two years, he was champion. Yeah. Sugar Sean hasn't even fought someone in the top fifteen yet. This would be his first fight against. He's like, like Cheeto's not even ranked yet. Uh, Cody Garbrandt went out there and, and handed Thomas Almeida his first loss. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he beat Takei Mizugaki in like 13 seconds, 14 seconds, and then he, and then he pitches a perfect game against Dominic Cruz, which I still think is one of the most lopsided performances I've ever seen from a contender. That's someone I would maybe consider. I would love to see that fight. The problem is Cody's going to 125, and they've been talking a lot of greasiness as is. So I hope to see that fight down the road. I think that's an awesome stylistic matchup, and that I think someone the, that like you're talking about the bantamweight division being fun. That the I, I I selfishly wish Cody wasn't going to 125 yet because if Sugar Sean wins, 
I want to see Cody versus Sugar Sean real bad. Cody, to me, just to note on him, is the biggest wild card for me in the sport in terms of I don't know what to expect because but, nobody hits harder than him pound for pound. The problem is he leaves himself open a lot, well, and problem, we have seen what happens. The only other person I think that hits harder than him pound for pound is Davis and Figueredo, who he has to fight next. That's true. That's, true. That's a good one. O'Malley, a 5'11 bantamweight. That is – that. I mean – just, big guy. Just, that's a big guy to be fighting at that division. He hits yeah. very hard. Like Connor it, Featherweight. It's like he, he just got you get sucked yeah. out in that way. Yeah. I think the UFC has done a good job in building up O'Malley this way. You mentioned, you know, Garbrandt's rise and everything. I think this is a good pace. This is a good pace of who he's fighting. A comparison to, yeah. like, he got, yeah. like, the, the two quick fights, and then he gets Brunson and then just crushes Brunson. And then from there, he gets the Silva fight and then uh-huh. the Kel. And then he beats Whitaker. So I think Stylebender and uh, Sugar Sean are the two fighters that have had the most meteoric rise and deservedly so in recent memory. Now, not too fast, but they're not fighting, uh, you know, the the middle class of their division for too long. They're going to move up. Not Michael Bennett Page is like what's happening over in Bellator. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't think we see uh, O'Malley losing this one. It should be pretty fun. But I do. Before we get to the main event, just another thing: How many fighters are going to dye their hair every week? Because I'm trying to keep a chart and losing track. Uh, I think it's one a week at this point. But Cheeto's been doing it for a while, so I can't knock him on that one. But like, and so is Derek Brunson was a few weeks ago. But uh, no excuse for Max Holloway and Mike Perry. Yeah, that that's uh, that's pretty crazy. Holloway, God, I, do we have a do we have? I know we're getting sidetracked, but do we have an officiating problem? I. I think the first fight, I think Vol- the problem with the Volkanovski. I know it wasn't a highway robbery, but you know what I mean? Uh, like, I'm still. The problem with the second fight is I think Max clearly won the first two rounds. I think it is very. Absolutely. It's easy. And then three, four, five were very close. Mm-hmm. So I, if someone argues that Volkanovski won three, four, five, that's fine. But he didn't clearly win when Max had two in the back pocket. So it's like you know, it's like a champion squeaked out a decision. It's all people are always going to complain, and I feel bad for Volkanovski because a lot of people think he lost both fights, but he has two Ws, and there's no. I do not want to see a third fight because, like Volkanovski said himself, what are you just going to keep giving Holloway title fights until he wins? Like the division has to move on, and I, I so I think Holloway needs to fight Cater next, honestly. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a little torn on that one because I agree with you. I just don't like it. So, but uh, <laughs> it's just what it is. All right. UFC 252 main event, the trilogy. Jose, we broke down the other two fights. All roads end here. It's the final show. It's the third and final movie in the sequence. Stipe DC. We know what happened a year ago in Anaheim. Stipe got his belt back. DC took the belt from him in the first fight, became a two-division champion. DC finally says he's retiring after this fight. No way fans or butts about it. I wonder what Stipe's got left after this fight, but that's for another time and place. How ready are you for this uh, for this fight and for this drama this drama show to finally be over? It's I have mixed feelings on this fight because I like whoever wins should rightfully be declared the greatest heavyweight in UFC history, if not MMA history. I know Kane and Fedor are there. The winner of this should be considered the greatest in UFC history. There's just something missing with this fight. It, it could be lack of fans. I think it's a really big clash of personalities where Daniel Cormier is so charismatic. And if you ask someone to dance with verbally, he can really sell a fight. The problem is Stipe is basically a tree. He doesn't talk. He's not a charismatic individual. He just happens to be the best heavyweight in the world right now. And you know the UFC doesn't want that. Like the heavyweight champion of the <laughs> <Nope>. world 
Like, look yeah. at box. The greatest, the two heavyweights that I, the two best heavyweights in the world are Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder. And I would put Anthony Joshua third, honestly. Ooh, Regardless. Uh, yeah, yeah, okay. The three, the three of them, even include, I'll even throw Dillian White in and Andy Ruiz and, and all and those guys. The top four are all charismatic. They all have more charisma in their pinky than Stipe has in his whole body. And that's no knock on Stipe because he's winning. And at the end of the game, that's all that matters. They're prize fighters. Who cares? There's just something missing with like comparing the last great heavyweight trilogy with JDS Kane. That felt like a bigger deal going in. I think maybe it's because it's the Cormier show because it's, oh, it's, what do you think? Like all the questions with Stipe, what do you think about DC retiring? What do you think about DC retiring? What if he retires as the greatest? Blah, blah, blah. Like there's something missing. I think I chalk it up to the first time they fought was July 2018. The next time they fought was August 2019. And the third time they fight, is August 2020. Stipe is basically going to have fought on Daniel Cormier three times in a row. And those are his last three fights once a year. When Kane and JDS fought, when the other one won, they would take fights. Not only would they take fights in between, they would be on the same card as each other. So they were always linked. So like when JDS beat Kane the first time, their next fights was JDS fought Frank Mir and Kane Velasquez fought Bigfoot. Now when JDS knocked out Mir, right before that, Kane just beat the soul out of Bigfoot in one of the bloodiest fights I've ever seen. And that sold the rematch. And then when Kane beat JDS this rematch, the next fight Kane had was a rematch against Bigfoot because rightfully so, Bigfoot knocked out over him. He deserves the fight. In the co-main event, JDS got a spinning wheel kick on Mark Hunt. And then that, you can't argue he didn't deserve the rematch. So they were taking fights in between. It wasn't this they weren't fighting once a year against one another, and they were winning violently and spectacularly. I think that's the best trilogy in heavyweight history in terms of the USC in terms of overall. But this is still the best. There's just something missing in this trilogy. And uh, like like my coworkers, Casey Lyon and Esterlin, they do this thing called Timeline, where it's basically the timeline of their careers. And it is beautiful, and Esterlin is the best photographer in the game. Casey is the best videographer in the game. And Esther Lynn narrates it, and it is just some of the best stuff you'll ever see in MMA. I can show, say, someone, like my girlfriend doesn't really watch MMA. I can show her the timeline with Robert Whitaker and Israel Adesanya, and she can get sold on that fight. I don't, I can't say that with Stipe, Daniel Cormier. There's just right, something right. missing. But at the end of the day, they are the two best heavyweights in the world. There's no argument. I feel bad for Francis. I feel bad for the heavyweight division. I'm honestly kind of looking forward to this being done. Because I feel like these two have rightfully so held the division hostage. They've both been injured. They both like so it's not like they're holding it out for more money. But like Francis, Kane, Jairzinho, Overeem, they're all and Ben Rothwell's back. They're just waiting for these two to finish their business and then the division can move on. So I'm looking forward to the fight, but I'm also looking forward to how to how the division moves along after it's over. Well, you did a great job explaining why the UFC and uh, its president probably is ready for this whole thing to be over because Stipe is, in their minds, boring. And, and whether that's right. true or not, and it doesn't move the needle, the guy who's been at the top of the mountain uh, doesn't necessarily have the charisma that other fighters have. Again, that's not an issue. That's who he is, and that's not what he you know, is there to do. I do think that, you know, spacing it out a year each time has been interesting. Um, in certain cases, you know, there's so much detail that goes into this. 
Um, the fact that there's been some injuries, there's been some negotiations, there's been some you know slights both perceived and real between the fighters who obviously don't really like each other anymore but respect each other between the UFC and you know Stipe and, and what have you. So I'm ready for closure on this. It's been three years. It's been time. It is a little unfair to the rest of the division um, that they haven't been able to you know fight for the title. Uh, but I'm ready to just see what happens. And, and when we yeah. talk about the fight itself, Jose, I mean, it, it's crazy, too, that both fights have ended with, with stoppages. So yeah. the, the, it hasn't been that five-round It's the heavyweight division. Fight. There's always yeah. going to be a stoppage. Now, you say that, but I wonder if, and I'll ask you this question, because Cormier has controlled the rounds for most of the, and pretty much every round that they fought, yeah. he's controlled it. Uh, he's done a great job, even in the striking department. But he admitted, you know, he got a little greedy, he got a little careless, and Stipe caught him and finished him when he probably wasn't winning any of the three rounds before that. Do you think Cormier starts to look at this and says that he's going to alter his style, he's going to wrestle more, he's going to, you know, avoid getting, you know, leaving himself vulnerable for those strikes and really use that Greco-Roman wrestling background? I mean, he has to because if you watch the first fight, the first few rounds he was dominating the grappling, but Stipe... Like if you like, I'll, I'll put this. I'll, I'll give you an example. Like if you punch BJ Penn a hundred times in the face, he's never gonna bruise. Like there's some fighters that just don't bruise or get bloody or cut. That's like they have that leather skin. You can breathe on Stipe and he bruises. Like he has one of those faces. <laughs> Daniel Cormier said like in the second and third rounds he would just touch Stipe and it would leave a mark, and he just got into that mindset where he's just going to punch him and punch him and punch him and punch him and he just abandoned the wrestling. Like, yeah. I was inside for that. His wrestling coach, Bob Cook, was screaming at the top of his lungs to go for the takedown. And then at some point, like in like the third round, fourth round, he's like, why am I even talking? He's not listening to me. Like, that was Cormier's coach. And then Stipe just survived and then and then he made it the an opposite adjustment. He saw that Daniel Cormier was going for his head so J- JDS, I mean uh, Stipe, then started just unloading on Daniel Cormier's body, and then Daniel, Daniel Cormier succumbed to body shots, and then just ate a flurry of punches to the head against the cage and collapsed. DC changed his, altered his game plan for the for the worse, and Stipe altered his game plan for the better. Daniel Cormier is not an idiot; he admitted fully what he did was stupid. So I guarantee you, he will be fighting differently because, like you said, he controlled the wrestling, but he abandoned it. So if he comes in and wrestles Daniel Stipe Miocic for 25 rounds, we should see a new champion. But that being said, it's a lot harder than that's a lot easier said than done. It's true, and at the end of uh, the third round, I think is when Stipe kind of realized he can get through to the body in that last fight, and it was like a predatory animal. I mean, <laughs> he just he jumped on his opening, ate a flurry of shots, as you said, and the fight was over in an instant. I can't wait for this one. Stipe has been one of the most ferocious fighters uh, of any era. Cormier, so smart in there, so technical, proved he can strike and can wrestle. It's time to make a prediction. I, I know you know where I'm going. I'm not going to abandon my guy. I do think it's a coin flip fight, and I understand why the betting odds might slightly favor Cormier. It's hard to have a direct read. This really could go either way. But where do you think? Who do you think it's crowned the heavyweight champion and the go to that division? I have to go with, man, I'm going to go with Stipe. He's younger. He won violently. Daniel Cormier is a great fighter. He's also on the wrong side of 40, and I literally have made that decision right now. Like, I don't know who's going to win. I think this is a coin flip. And I, when I say Stipe wins, I say that with no confidence. I think it's like 51-49. It could be even be 50-50. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I think the first round is going to decide a lot. But my yeah. gut says Stipe. You always, if, if it's ever that, if, in my opinion, if you can't make up your mind this close to fight, 
my heart and my gut always le- favor the champion. I said that going into the rematch. Uh, I didn't know who was going to win uh, because a first-round knockout in any division, you it could be a fluke, but he got caught. Like he he might lose, he might win nine out of ten, but he got caught that once on that one day. And I always like I want to see the rematch between McGregor and Aldo. I want to see the rematch between like Derek Brunson and Stylebender. I want to see the rematch between Stylebender and Robert Whitaker because an early knockout, you there's always going to be questions. So. The rematch was different, but Stipe looked great and withstood the onslaught. I go Stipe. And I, I made that decision right now on your show. Yeah, I mean, the beauty of this fight and the last couple of fights have shown us it can happen in an instant. It can happen in the first round, in the fifth round. The guy that's winning, the guy that's losing. You know, I, I can't wait to see it. I'm going Stipe. My heart says Stipe. My mind says I don't know, so I'm going to go with my heart on this one. I think Stipe gets it done, and I don't know if he fights again after this. I'm not sure. We'll see what uh, he will. Gave an interview to my good friend James Lynch, uh, of who writes, who does interviews okay. about 40, 40 different publications. So I can't honestly tell you which one it was for. But Stipe said he's not; he has no plans to retire. Okay. After. So I honestly think, win or lose, regardless of the outcome, he fights Francis Ngannou next. It's either going to be for a vacant title, because if DC wins, he vacates the belt, or it'll be a title defense. So, win or lose, I think Stipe's next fight is going to be against Francis Ngannou. Well, we're at the end of the road. It's been quite a journey. Jose Young's MMA fighting. Thank you for for joining me and previewing this. Uh, last thing, how have you been enjoying pro? Been enjoying or not enjoying pro wrestling without fans? I haven't honestly watched any WWE. Okay. It's kind of and it's annoyed me with a lot of the decisions they've made. Yeah, I agree. I mean, what is that? They're speaking of MMA. There's like Raw Underground now. I don't even know what that is. So, uh, I've been kind of tuned out, but I've seen some of it. You know, not not fully invested, but it's different. You know, they, they without the crowd, it's tough, man. I, have you been watching New Japan? No, I was. Hoping I tell you, you what, in. man, Naito's no longer the champion in oh, either. No. He lost to Evil, turned on uh, Lij. Oh no! And now he's champ, champ, and he joined Bullet Club. Uh, so Evil is no longer in Los Ingobernables. Uh, Naito is now on the chase to get his belts back after he was betrayed, and I, I honestly think it's because a lot of the uh, in, the uh, foreign talent can't travel to Japan right now. So like Jay White, uh, John Moxley, uh, who is it? Uh, there's a lot of like is it, basically if you look at it, the three biggest heels in New Japan are Kenta, uh, Switchblade, Jay White. And evil, and they're all in Bullet Club right now. Jay White can't get into Japan at the moment, so they needed something. And a lot, and obviously, Bullet Club is made up of mostly foreigners. They needed someone big and a big splash. So, evil is now champ, champ, and Naito is no longer. Wow, I gotta get caught back up on that. I every year, it's usually about this time when I start to look back into it. I ramp up, and then we get to January. But man, it's just I, I need fans there for wrestling. I think I really do. Um, but hey, Jose Youngs, this was a blast. Best of luck covering. I know virtually, albeit, but good. Best of luck covering UFC 252. Hope to have you back on uh, to cover some more fights uh, coming forward. But thanks for coming on the Money Mitch Effect. Anytime, man. I fully expect to be up on the show again when Stylebender throws down Costa. Oh, yeah. Well, I can't wait for that one. But thanks again, Jose.
That's it for today's show. Big thanks again to Jose Youngs and Sean Sullivan for appearing as guests. Thanks to everybody out there for listening and a reminder that you can catch every episode of the Money Mitch Effect, now 237 in total. On SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play, that's where you can subscribe, leave a rating, or a review as well. And check out the Money Mitch Effect Facebook page and follow me on Twitter, MoneyMitchM21. Numbers at the end, because you know that's my number, 21. we got to stay uh, up to speed on a lot of different sports, so there will be another show next week. Shout out to Morikawa for winning the PGA Championship. Another guy that my, my boy Josh Wynn, last week's guest, you know, is very high on. California kid, 22, 23 years old, I think. And uh, the best is yet to come for him, for sure. So shout out to him as well. Keep up with the hockey playoffs. Basketball playoffs start next week. Baseball keeps turning along. And, of course, UFC 252 this weekend. I'm Mitch Michaels. This was the Money Mitch Effect. Until next time, keep enjoying sports.